The following content has been rated for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in that. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can't get violent and angry. Welcome to The Squawk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. Welcome back, everybody. And if you are listening on our release day, happy Thanksgiving 2022, everybody. Yes, it is. It is the time of the turkey. This week, we are going to be going back into my wheelhouse, which is the true crime. And we're going to be talking about a story that Cracker and I have actually discussed in the past, but this is our first time talking about it on the podcast, which is Matthew Hoffman. Boy, is it an interesting story. Interesting's one word for it. There's, there's many words for it. <laughs> well, his other name is The Leaf Killer, and we will get into why in a little bit. But to start out, we're going to go back to 2010. So on November 10th, the Mount Vernon Sheriff's Department got a call from a manager at Dairy Queen. You know, you immediately think, what, are they being robbed? Is something happening at the DQ? I mean... What, what could possibly happen at Dairy Queen? The manager calls the Sheriff's Department because one of the employees, a woman named Tina Herman, she was 36 years old. She had not shown up for her 4 p.m. shift and... This doesn't seem that out of the ordinary, you know? Sometimes people, especially in retail or especially in fast food, they just don't show up for work. I mean... Yeah, so sometimes they're just like, I'm, I'm not feeling it today. I'm just going to stay home. Happens. But what really flagged this to the manager is she never did that. She was always there, always on time, very dedicated. And they were like, okay, this is really, really weird. Can you please... Please send somebody to check on her. So the deputies uh, went to the house for a wellness check, but nothing seemed out of the ordinary from the outside. So they left uh, with a wellness check. They knock on the door. If somebody comes to the door, they talk to them. They kind of like look around, you know, if there's front doors wide open and there's blood all over the sidewalk, they're probably going to call somebody. Probably. It's, it's kind of a... Kind of a red flag. Yeah, and it was very quiet. It seemed like nothing was wrong. Stephanie Sprang is another woman. She's 41. And the next day, her longtime boyfriend files a missing person report. Turns out she is very good friends with Tina Herman. And the last thing that he knew she was going to do was to go help Tina. So Tina was preparing to move to another house. And she had two kids. So you need a little help trying to get two kids packed up and moved. It's, it's very much like that meme. It's just like, all right, shoes on, everyone ready to go. And it's just like, wait, your shoes were double knotted. How do you how is your how are you missing a sock? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's just to get them to go to the grocery store, let alone to get them to move house. I know when And then you pack things away and then suddenly they want something that's in the back of the trailer. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I remember 
when it was just me moving from, you know, from home to my first apartment with a roommate and then from that apartment in with Chris and then for the two of us to move from our first apartment into our house. And that was bad enough. That was that was a nightmare. I can't imagine having small children in the mix. And these were two, quote, adults. Yeah, I was going to say the quotes are the quotes are earned. I was like, I got I got to throw in quotes here because like, I mean, Chris isn't in the room right now playing video games because he's downstairs playing with Legos. Understandable. It's a very good excuse. Stephanie went to help Tina pack up the house, get things ready. Now this is starting to throw up red flags. Tina is still missing. Tina? Oh, yes, Tina. Okay, so this is an aside, but um, I mentioned in our last episode that I have been having a very, very stressful time at work. And what has happened is we had a client come in, huge, huge project, very tight deadline. They are losing their other provider on the 30th. And they're like, we need everything up and live on the 29th. And it is, I would probably say six months worth of work. And we have gotten it all together in a month and a half. A little bit of stress. So my brain no work. A little bit. Yeah. I had somebody tell me today that I told them something like a week ago. And I'm like, dude, I don't remember if I ate breakfast. You, you should you should probably. I still don't remember if I ate breakfast. Is this something you need to take notes for? This is why people keep journals. Well, yeah, I started a habit tracker because I have my therapist was also part of the reason why I I started doing this. But when I get extraordinarily stressed now, it doesn't get to this level of stress often. But when I get very, very stressed, I forget to do things like brush my teeth. (laughs) I'm quite the opposite. When I get very, very stressed, I immediately go for all the ice cream and sweets I can find. Oh, I, I'm a stress eater, too. I am a stress eater, too. I actually I am very, very not happy about this. So I'm not one of those people that like obsesses over their weight, but I like to kind of stay in the same range because that means I'm pretty much doing OK. You like to enjoy food, but you're mindful of how much. Yeah, I gained 10 pounds from this project. Oof. From this project alone, like I weighed myself before it had started and I weighed myself a couple days uh, about a week ago and I had gained 10 pounds in a month from this project. Yeah, and I noticed that whenever I was at my last job and I would bring home a pint of ice cream every day after work and I was like, I'm noticing a pattern here. Yeah, uh, red flag, red flag, alert, alert. Especially when that pint of ice cream would be gone the next day. Oof, was it Ben and Jerry's? It was just whatever sounded good at the time. I'm a sucker for Ben and Jerry's. I, I'm not a huge fan of the band, but fish food, that is a choice Ben and Jerry's flavor. I would grab the little, uh, I'm butchering the name, but the Talenti gelato things. Oh, Talenti, yeah. I would grab those or cookie dough. Yeah, I also like Haagen-Dazs. Oh, yes. Haagen-Dazs is real good. The Haagen-Dazs strawberry with the big chunks of fresh strawberries in it. Yes. Well, this went down a rabbit hole. Mm. All right, show's over. We're going to, yeah, we're going to go get some ice cream now. The leaf killer. We don't need to carve that. Back to our story. <laughs> Tina still has not shown up. Stephanie is now missing. So the deputies check at the school of Tina's two children. Sarah is 13 years old and Cody is 11. And they wanted to see if they were in class that day. Because if they were in class and they just couldn't find the mom, maybe, you know, signals got crossed. They got to the house when she had just left, something like that. But the kids hadn't been in school. And soon 
Tina's manager called again. She went to the house to check for herself. And when the police did the wellness check, there are rules on how invasive they are allowed to be. You know, they can kind of glance in some windows here and there, look around outside, but they can't really do too much. But the manager was a little nosier, looked in some harder to reach windows and things, and she saw blood. I guess it's a good thing for nosy managers. Yeah, it wasn't a couple drops. It wasn't, you know, a little thing here and there. It was pools and lots and lots of blood. Oh, it's not a paper cut. It's not even a, I accidentally cut myself cooking and sprayed blood all over the kitchen. It was, it was very obvious that someone did not do well after the incident. Something, something bad happened here. Something very, very bad happened here. So when deputies entered the home, they found a horrific scene. There were three main areas of extensive, extensive blood pooling, drag marks, and splatter. The tub in the bathroom was coated in blood, and there were still bits of tissue present. The shower curtain was stained, indicating that at one point the blood in the bathtub was at least two inches deep. And I don't think that much is supposed to be outside your body, but, um... No. Yeah. No. So, to make it even more difficult, they didn't find any bodies. It was just... A lot of blood. A lot of blood. That's even creepier. But they knew that with the amount of blood, no one would have survived that. So they think that... So we have three stains. There are at least three victims, at least three blood sources. So who were those victims and why were there only three? So we're going to do another head count because we kind of had an ice cream escapade going on there. So we are looking for Tina, her two children, Sarah and Cody, and her friend, Stephanie. So we are looking for four people, but we only have three apparent victims. Further examination of the blood revealed a set of shoe prints that matched the treads of shoes that came from Sarah's room. There was an empty shoe box. They were newer shoes that she had just recently purchased. So Sarah walked away from this. But where was she? Was she still alive? What happened? And how did she get out of this house? There was a Walmart bag with new garbage bags and tarps in the garage, and it was an even more significant clue. So somebody had just gone to Walmart to purchase garbage bags and tarps. Interesting. And there was a receipt in the bag. Using that receipt, if you ever shop at Walmart, there's store numbers, contact information, all sorts of details as to where that receipt came from. It has times. There's a lot of data, data on those. So using that receipt, they figured out that it had been purchased around midnight and they went to that store and asked for surveillance for the time for that time. So, you know, they would always do like a window of like an hour before or hour after. Uh, and they found there was an adult male 
walking very comfortably around the store, just buying things like nothing special was happening. They couldn't see his license plate in the video when he left. So you have to think this is midnight and security cameras outside aren't necessarily zoomed in on your car's license plate. Quality usually isn't that great either, so... Yeah, I like that one meme where it's like the new James Webb telescope that's, you know, pointed out to space and they're like showing the pillars of creation. They can see potholes on Mars. Yeah, they can see potholes on Mars. They had, you know, they can see the pillars of creation. There was that one that went and destroyed the, the meteor. Um, the, I forget what, what the mission was called, but you know, the one that they flew it directly into the meteor yeah. and you could see all the little pebbles on the meteor. But then you look at a Walmart security camera and you can't even tell if it's a human. <laughs> Is this some sort of dog, I think? <laughs> Is it the Yeti? Um, so. It's the gray man of Bimming Dewey. <laughs> yes, it's the gray. It's Jeff. It's Jeff. We solved it. <laughs> so they couldn't see his license plate, but he was very familiar with the layout of the store. He wasn't searching for things. He knew where the trash bags were. He knew where the tarps were. He just walked around the room. So they assumed he was local or had been in the area for a while. And they knew the make and model of the, the car. It was a silver Yaris. So they, you know, just were like, okay, somebody in this area with a silver Yaris, it's a male general description because they saw him on the video cameras. So they searched and they found the suspect. Matthew Hoffman at the time was a 30 year old unemployed tree trimmer who lived less than half a mile from the crime scene. He had a criminal record and he had spent six years in prison in Colorado for burglary and arson. So some fun facts about his uh, crimes. Uh, I know at one point in time, he stole a state sign that said, welcome to Colorado. Hey, fair, fair enough. It's, it's just a weird crime. He also uh, robbed a condo near where he was living and then burnt it to the ground, which is how he got arrested for burglary and arson. Why? I, I mean, I, I guess he was kind of lazy and was just like, I want to commit robbery and arson, but I don't want to go too far from home. So I'm just going to go right down the street. Well, the arson actually wasn't planned. The arson is because he was doing the robbery and then realized he was leaving evidence. That sounds like some Scooby-Doo nonsense. Like you just show up and you you're, you want to just yoink a Snickers bar out of their out of their cabinet or in the kitchen, and then suddenly you realize, oh, I tracked mud. I got to clean that up. Next thing you know, you've broken the microwave, the vacuum cleaner, the couch is upside down, the windows are broken, and you just got to burn the whole thing down and start over. <laughs> well, I just think it's interesting. It's like, oh no, they're gonna catch me for burglary, so I might as well burn the house down. I guess he was thinking, huh, there can't be evidence if I burn down the place because they surely won't notice the house on fire. Mm -hmm. And they surely won't have any kind of, I don't know, arson investigator who could figure out who burnt the house down. Fire chiefs? Arson investigators? What is this you speak of? Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I kind of have to wonder. I don't know the actual sentencing for these things, but I feel like arson is actually probably a worse sentence than burglary. Like, I feel like on burglary... Depending on how much you burgled, which is a weird word, by the way. I, I don't know which... Because yeah, there's like first, second degree, 
Yeah, I like I mean all the way even if you like look at the different types of theft, you know, all the way down to shoplifting where you can like get a fine and you're done. Uh versus like what is it? Grand larceny. <laughs> like there's a very broad range of stealing other people's things. Whereas arson is pretty much like, hey, you burnt this house down and you could have endangered a lot of people. You're screwed. I was going to look that up cuz I'm curious, but where where was this located in? Um, this was in Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon, the, the state? <laughs> Mount Vernon, like, like, the I, state? What, what state was it? <laughs> I, I was adding a question onto the end of that, but it came out Mount Vernon, the state. Like, Mount Vernon, uh, what's the state? <laughs> yes, the state of Mount Vernon. That's a new one. Add that to the list. Where are you from, Mount Vernon, the state? Yeah, the state of Mount Vernon, Ohio. Mount Vernon, Ohio. I don't know places. I'm just, I'm just trying to, like, <laughs> I just love that Mount Vernon, the state. Matthew Hopman, 30-year-old unemployed tree trimmer with a criminal record. And there was the possibility that Sarah was still alive. So, obviously, you have a missing 13-year-old girl presumed alive. They have to move quickly. And they showed up at Hoffman's no notice they were able to serve a no-knock warrant where they could just immediately break into the home or not break into the home. That sounds like they're breaking and entering, uh, but they can immediately break down the door, go in and look. Uh, whereas normally you have to get the warrant, you have to knock, you have to serve the warrant. They have to agree to the like. It's usually a much bigger process here. They were just like, knock down the door, go in, find the girl if she's there. And that was on November 15th. So this all started on November 10th. So this is five days later. They found Hoffman sleeping on his couch and they were able to quickly apprehend him. And that's when things get weird. They started looking around the house, just like looking, like not even digging. In his home were huge piles of leaves on top of tarps. Some of them were three feet deep. Man's got a leaf collecting hobby. <sighs> Investigators, their first gut reaction, because, I mean, this is a suspect in a brutal murder where the bodies disappeared. Mm -hmm. They were terrified they were going to find bodies in these piles of leaves. But what they found was other rooms. <laughs> that was it. It was just little piles of leaves. Uh, and then the in the bathroom, there were hundreds of shopping bags up against the walls, just lining the walls with more leaves. There were also very strange doodles and writings on the walls, the doors. And then they look in the kitchen and open up the freezer. Now, I will say... It, it's never... The freezer is never a good place to look. This is true, but this luckily is not going to be a cannibal situation. So I will say that. They found two dead squirrels... And red popsicles. 
okay first of all that's that's a little odd but you know it's not so bad i mean squirrel meat being food is is a thing and red popsicles are also a thing so i mean it could have been worse it's just very weird because you're in this house it's different yeah you're in a house of leaves leaves are everywhere and now you have some frozen squirrels yeah and also it's different too if it's if it's not the meat if it's just literally the whole squirrel it was the whole squirrel fair, fair enough it was it was the whole squirrel all right then oh it was two whole squirrels two whole squirrels and some red popsicles hey dad what's for dinner two whole squirrels and a red popsicle if you're good they move throughout the house and finally make it down to the basement and they found sarah's location she was bound and gagged on a pile of leaves which has been described as a nest it was shaped like a giant nest of leaves. However, that's all they found. They did not find Tina, Stephanie, or Cody. Sarah was taken to the hospital, but she was she was very clear. Uh, you know, she was conscious. She was talking, and she was telling the authorities what happened. She told them everything she knew, everything she'd come up with. And she said that on the 10th, which was five days earlier, she and Cody came home from school and there was blood in the entryway. She called out for her mom and a man emerged with a knife. In a panic, she ran to her room. She locked the door, but she could hear her brother screaming. Moments later, the man broke into her room. He told her he would kill her if she didn't do exactly what he said. That's when he tied her up, blindfolded her, and then took her to his vehicle. He left her at his house. So he had the crime scene. There was already, like I said, a pool of blood on the floor when they got home. So then he took the girl, went back to his house, left again, and then eventually came back. Now, we're not going to go into too much detail of what actually happened to her in captivity. There is a book that she helped write. Obviously, she had a, a, a writer assist her, but she did tell her story in a book called The Girl in the Leaves that it does detail some of the horrible trauma she went to. But she, um, she went through some horrible things. I will say that she was assaulted uh, she was also unfortunately sexually assaulted and she was just very poorly treated, very poorly treated. But she was also incredibly brave. <clears throat> I don't know why my voice just caught there, but she was incredibly brave. She realized and she understood that if she played along, he would be more likely to let her live. He would always say, if you don't do this, I won't kill you. So she played along and did what she could to keep him happy, keep him from hurting her and killing her. And most of the time, unfortunately, that's the, the best thing you can do in that situation is to just kind of go along until you have a, a, an opportunity to either escape or help comes. Yeah. I will say that we'll talk a little bit about this later, but she is now an adult. She 
courageously told her story. Like I said, there is a book. She did do some media tours. She did do some public speaking and very courageously told her story to advocate for living victims of tragedies like this. One of the I don't I don't know what to call this. It's not a positive, but one of the things that could have been much worse. She did not actually witness any of the violence on her family. See, she um, actually, she didn't know if they were dead or alive. She kept asking if they were okay. So she had no idea what happened to them in that house. All that she knew is that this man came in and abducted her. Uh, she had seen a pool of blood. I'm assuming that pool of blood was very large, so probably probably not a good thing happens, but... Probably not, but seeing a man with a knife, your your brain probably isn't wandering and thinking too much on the pool of blood. You're probably just thinking, how am I getting out of here? What's going to happen? Exactly. So, with Sarah now safe, she went to the hospital... She was being cared for by professionals. She was in a spot that this man could not hurt her anymore. The focus turned to what happened to Tina, Stephanie, and Cody. However, Hoffman was not talking. A couple days in, Hoffman told one detective he would write his confession only if they would let him escape so they could shoot him. What? No. <laughs> yeah, uh, he would confess and then just immediately. No, no. Death by. That's cop. not how this works. That's not how any of this works. That's exactly what they told them. Told him. They said we cannot do that. That's illegal. So he continued to silence for three more days, and then on November eighteenth, they agreed to take the death penalty off the table if he confessed. So he did. Fair enough. In his confession, he claimed that the whole incident was a burglary gone wrong. Gone very wrong, it sounds like it. I will leave it to you and the viewers to decide if you believe his story. But he admitted to casing the house before the attack to learn when people wouldn't be there. And he slept in the woods across the street. So the house was located. I grew up in the country. There are plenty of these types of uh, situations out there where it's like a road that just stops. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's just, it's like in the middle of the woods, it just stops. And then like the house was off to the side. So it was pretty secluded. If I was going to rob a place, I, I assume that would be a very good location. It's secluded. So not, you don't have a lot of foot traffic. You don't have a lot of car traffic. It's just kind of. Not many neighbors. Yeah. Quiet. Further, further out away. Exactly. Exactly. So. He slept in the woods across the street the night before. Hoffman spent quite a bit of time inside the house looking for valuables when he was interrupted by Tina coming home with groceries. He had brought a large hunting knife and a blunt object into the house with him. I kind of wonder if you're just stealing stuff, why do you need a giant knife and a what object? For defense, in case the people who own the home want to stop me from stealing their things, clearly. I mean, surely they're in the wrong there. Clearly, I would win the court case. <laughs> so he was in her bedroom, Tina's bedroom, when 
he realized that there was no way for him to get out of the house without her seeing him. So he confronted her, intending to just knock her out, and then he could escape. Sorry, this is my sour, sassy, you're an idiot voice. So Stephanie shows up, and Hoffman claims he panicked, so he attacked and stabbed both women. Didn't, didn't, I don't feel like it needed to go that far, but... That's why I was saying I leave it up to people to decide if if he truly felt that way. Because, like, or not truly felt that way. Uh, if it's the truth. Because if it was a burglary gone wrong, first of all, jump out a window. Second of all, there's no reason to kill two innocent women with a knife. Like, cover, just cover your face and run for the door. Yeah. After he stabbed them, he had taken the women's bodies to the bathroom, and he was, as he said, processing them in the bathtub. And that is when Sarah and Cody got home. So, unfortunately, when the children got home, we heard Sarah made it to her room, locked her door. Cody did not and unfortunately, that young man lost his life. And um, Hoffman also took him to the bathroom. So Hoffman used the victim's cars at various points to transport Sarah back and forth to his house, to dispose of the garbage bags full of dismembered Bobby parts. And he informed the authorities that he had dumped the bags in a hollow tree. That's, that's where you put that. Uh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, well, he obviously has some sort of fascination with trees. We'll talk about that a little bit. Fairly. But I, I, I couldn't tell from the piles of leaves in his home. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that in a little bit in depth, but... Great. Well, I mean, it, there's a little bit of psychology that has been sort of debated about the crime. But they, like I said, there is a large hollow tree. He said that he had to use a pulley system to raise the bags high enough to get them into the hole of which he placed them. And then they, because it was hollow, fell all the way to the ground inside of the tree. But he refused to tell them where the tree was until they promised that they would not damage it in the process. He cared more about this tree than he did the three lives that he took. During his confession, there also was no genuine apology. There was no plead for forgiveness. He did not show remorse. He just told him what happened like you and I talking about when Bubba asks for tacos. Just talking. That's the part that's more the most disturbing to me is just like, they're just so casual about it. During the interview, he maintained that he never intended to kill anyone and that he was working in a complete state of shock during and after the murders. Fair enough. He also insisted that he treated Sarah very well while she was in his uh, care, more like captivity. He claimed that he cooked her 
dinner, they watched movies together, they played video games, and he even made her a comfortable bed of leaves. However, the truth was nothing even similar to that. She was not allowed outside of the basement. She was not even given any sort of facilities. So he, and this is a little gross, I will mention, he made her a diaper out of trash bags and duct tape that he put on the outside of her pants. One, that's not how that works. Two, it's better than leaves. Fair. But uh, Sarah, again, she goes into much more detail in her book, but she was very clear that he did not treat her well. They did not play video games. They did not have movie night and they did not eat food together. He actually did not feed her over the course of that time. And she barely had water. So she was not in good shape when they got her out of there. In early 2011, Hoffman pleaded guilty to 10 different counts and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, a sentence of which he is still serving. So he is still alive in jail, in prison. Uh, He will never be getting out. So that is at least one positive. Now, this is where I said we were going to kind of dig into some of the psychology of things because there are a few different aspects of... <laughs> there's a lot of different aspects of this guy's mentality, but the one of the most fascinating things with this case, one of the things that makes so many people just turn around and go, huh? Is the leaves. Yeah. But... Leaves and trees didn't actually have anything to do with the murders, except from the disposal site. So there, there is a lot of speculation. Some people think that he has a sexual attraction to trees. It is an actual psychological thing. What is it called? Um, disorder, I guess. I can't think of the word either. Yeah, it's called dendrophilia, which is a sexual attraction or love of trees. Is is that? I don't know. I don't know if that's a, a disorder, a dysfunction. It's something. I don't know. I'm getting hung up on it. <laughs> it is something. It's it's something, and it's definitely different. <laughs> So, as I said, there is a ton of speculation and sensationalism about that aspect of the case, but he has never addressed it. And there, um, you know, obviously there are psychologists and psychiatrists involved in his care that have never actually stated one way or the other. Hoffman did not explain the piles of leaves in his confession, and he has not spoken since, so... I mean, you know, given the whole attraction to trees thing, I would assume that's just part of that. Well, no one knows if he was. Oh, well. That's speculation. Fair enough. He might be. So at the time of the crime, his neighbors claimed that he was acting more and more strange. He would climb into trees and just watch people, which there's no crime in that, as long as it's not... It sounds like he... 
uh, okay, this is this is another theory here. He built the girl a nest out of leaves. He had piles of leaves. There were two squirrels in his freezer. Did this man want to be a squirrel? If he did, he was a cannibal. I mean, you are what you eat. Maybe he took that a little too literally. Oh, yeah. Well, he he wasn't grocery shopping. He was just catching and eating squirrels. Oh, clear, clearly. I, I, I seem to have missed the part in Walmart where they have just whole squirrels in the, in the freezer section. Well, okay, here's my thing. When when you make dinner, you, well, you'll have like a, a meat or a protein or something like that. So maybe you're going to eat a steak or chicken or something like that. And then you usually have a side, whether it be rice or noodles or something. You also need seasonings. You need vegetables. You need, you know, so if even if he was going to focus on squirrel as his main protein, he still needed to go grocery shop. I mean, not really. Squirrel as your protein, red popsicles as your side dish, crushed up leaves as your seasoning. I mean, he had it all right there. It's not the ideal meal, but it's what he had. So one of the things that they think may have been a contributing factor or a trigger was that he was recently fired from his tree trimming job due to poor work performance. And he was now on unemployment. Uh, Some people said that his car had gotten repossessed, but he was in a car. He was in that silver Yaris that he owned. So I'm not sure if it actually was repossessed or if that was just like a a rumor or something like that. But, you know, tree trimming job was, you know, his dream. He loved trees. He was working with trees, but he was fired. And a lot of times some kind of life change like that can be a trigger in crime. So also recently before this all happened, his girlfriend and her young son had recently moved moved out of the house after a breakup. There was an incident on October 24th. So if you remember, this happened on November 10th. So it was only a few weeks earlier. Uh, they had a I guess they had a fight or something and he tried to choke his girlfriend. So she did not press charges, but she left. And what's kind of sad is that if she had pressed charges, maybe he wouldn't have been out and about to do these horrible things to this family. Uh, Sorry, I'm just processing the things that I just said. There's a a lot to process here. So overall, he had become paranoid, irritable. He had the power to his house disconnected, which is another question when he said he cooked them dinner. And it makes me wonder how frozen those squirrels were. Yeah, uh, slightly soft popsicles and slightly cold squirrel. Oh, you're making me hungry. Yeah, no, right? So one of the downsides to when we record this podcast is that I ate dinner right before this. Now it's kind of like, you know, I could run to the bathroom and puke. Let's be honest, you did this to yourself. Hey, no, but I also know that I need to eat dinner. Okay, during this whole stress thing, I told you I don't take care of myself when I'm extraordinarily stressed. And one of the things is I wasn't eating proper meals. So I would just like gorge on snacks whenever I was like, oh, crap, I haven't eaten anything today. So like one day my lunch, actually, no, it was was either lunch or breakfast was Twizzlers and an energy drink. So Chris found out and he's like, what? No, 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 no. So... 
he started putting um, before he would leave he would put a container of ice water and a granola bar on my desk so I would eat something for breakfast and then he has been making dinner every night and dinner is at five. Oh, how nice which is really sweet it's it is really sweet and like we've been planning it out so like we have a marker board on the fridge where we're like Monday we eat this Tuesday we eat that Wednesday we eat this sounds so, like me and, and someone that I'm totally not staring at over there and not eating properly uh oh and having to baby them with their food uh oh is, Bo- is, is Bobo bad at that they used to be until they came here now I'm making sure they eat good she's probably like damn it <laughs> shut up Kraken I'm a little concerned that he looked over here and just was like haha jokes on you don't I don't know what that means I'll find out later <laughs> you're gonna pay for that one probably one piece of speculation is whether or not Hoffman was a psychopath at the time of his conviction most talking mental health experts claim that his behavior seemed more in line with someone's uh, with someone suffering a severe mental break one expert speculated that he likely found trees comforting. So that is why he put bo- the bodies in a hollow tree to provide a safe, comforting place for them to rest. However, in the Twisted Killers episode, there was a much different characterization of Hoffman. They asserted that he was, in fact, a psychopath and a dendrophile, which is the sexual attraction to trees. However, the only evidence to prove his dendrophilia was the piles of leaves in his home. That's it. Yeah. That's their evidence. I mean, it's weird. I'm not going to lie. It's weird. But it doesn't actually justify a mental condition. As for being a psychopath, it is possible. But again, there's only speculation. There has been no official statement that he has been or official statement or official records that he has been deemed a psychopath. Uh, It was pointed out that not only did he bring the knife and a blunt object into the scene, he brought gloves. Okay, gloves. Maybe you don't want to get your fingerprints everywhere. But he also brought duct tape. And that is not something you are normally going to need during a robbery. Yeah, no, no. He also did not show remorse. And just one more thing. He bought the trash bags and tarps and gloves and duct tape after the crime. Also, to add one more little layer onto everything that really, to me, kind of seals the psychopath deal. When he was at Walmart, he was so comfortable that... He's buying his garbage bags and his murder tools. And he bought a t-shirt. It was on the dollar rack. It was a Halloween shirt. He said it made him chuckle. So he bought it. And a sandwich. I gotta have that sandwich because, you know, you gotta have something to go with that squirrel. Yeah, well, it just... I mean, some people could say, oh... He was just buying other stuff so he didn't look suspicious. But if you're going to buy just other stuff so you don't look suspicious, I would think, okay, you're buying trash bags, so maybe you should buy other kitchen stuff. Maybe cleaner 
or sponges or, you know, something that is going to be, or if they're like those big leaf cleaning bags, something for the yard, you know, make stuff that, buy things that would kind of make sense as to why you're buying tarps and garbage bags and duct tape and gloves. Yeah. I get other, get like buy some rakes or like, you know, some trash cans. Like I'm doing some yard work. Yeah. Yeah. No, he didn't. You bought a sandwich. I also feel like we shouldn't be going into what we would do. I feel like that's giving ideas. It's just like probably shouldn't be doing that. We don't. We don't. We don't approve of this. No, I don't approve of this, and I'm never going to do this. No, no. Because I'm smart enough to not kill people. Yes. I'm also a decent human being. I would think. You you're, you don't have piles of leaves and some squirrels in your freezer, so I mean. I do have popsicles in my freezer, though. As long as they're not next to two squirrels, it's fine. Uh, One person even went to the point to say that he put the bodies in a very specific tree. So he had a shrine to return to, which would indicate psychopathy. But again, no solid evidence to back it up. And then they kind of went back and they looked at his past stint in prison And they mentioned that he burglarized a townhome. We had talked about this a little bit. And then went back later. So when he was performing the robbery, he didn't immediately burn the house down. He robbed it, left, and then came back because he was obsessing over potential fingerprints. And then he burnt the house down. And one of the men who worked on the murder case was pointing out that maybe... The leaves were actually an accelerant, and he was going to burn down his own home if it got to the point that he thought it was necessary. I mean, there's a thought, too, yeah. The day after the murders were discovered, Hoffman tried to go back to the house to burn all of the evidence, but he didn't realize that the police were already there. He was actually stopped by and spoken to by a deputy. They were asking why he was there, but he claimed he was just walking around waiting for his girlfriend to get off work. Obviously, they didn't know he was a suspect. You know, it was maybe a little weird. He was a little awkward or whatever, but okay, whatever. They don't have reason to, to suspect him, so... They had no idea he was coming to burn down the house that he just murdered three people in. Yeah. He could be a psychopath. He could have had a severe mental break. There's evidence of both, but he hadn't been officially treated for anything prior to the murders. And often there are, you know, if you are suffering from some sort of severe mental issues, you are going to have some treatment. Like, I don't have severe mental issues. I have, uh, you know, an anxiety disorder. That's okay. But I have a lot of documentation of doctors, prescriptions, therapy, etc. So if you were being treated for something, there would be records of it. There should be. Yeah, there should be. Uh, And I remember telling you that he... Yes, I remember telling you. You remember telling... Wait, no. You remember... Someone remembers something. Are are you having a stroke? Get the modulants. Fair enough. If you'll remember, I told you when he was arrested that he said you should let me escape so you can shoot me dead. Yeah. One officer said that 
when they said we can't do that, he said, well, if the cops won't shoot me, I'm going to take my own life. And he was very insistent. And this was a very, very particular thing to be insistent about that he didn't want to be injected with Thorazine, which is a medication used to treat schizophrenia for the rest of his life in jail. So he was convinced that they were going to be giving him schizophrenia medication for the rest of his life. And he refused. Sounds like he kind of knew something or or thought something about himself. Yeah. So if this is true, because obviously it's someone saying that he said this, maybe he had been diagnosed and he was hiding it. So that is possible. Unfortunately, this was not the end of the horrors in Sarah's life. So she had lost her brother and her mother. And her grandmother actually said that day Sarah lost her two best friends. That's how happy and close this family was. So after the conviction of Matthew Hoffman, she went to live with her father and her stepmother. And they were later convicted of abusing and assaulting her. Um, Her father punched her in the back And then just a few days later, her stepmother kicked her down a flight of stairs. So they have been charged and dealt with those things. They also have a, what is it called? A, uh, an order of protection. There is an order of protection that they are not allowed anywhere near her. That is the end of the tale, but I hope you enjoyed the very weird story. Of the leaf killer. And and it feels weird saying I enjoyed it, but it it was a good story. Very interesting, very odd and different, but that's most things around here. So are you going to get two squirrels and some red popsicles for your freezer? No, no, I don't. I don't think I will. I think I'm a pass. As always, make sure to check out our website for all of the show notes, sources, and more information at thesquonkandthehag.com. And we would also love and appreciate your support by either leaving a review on iTunes or through small monthly donations using the viewer support link in the description. And if you don't subscribe, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast network to get notified of new episodes every Thursday. All right, Krakow, you ready? Okay, bye.